0: Now, if you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 8, let me read you my text. Uh, It's only three quick, short verses. Luke chapter 8 at verse 19. Um, Those verses read like this. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. <clears throat> Guys, um, I really don't expect you to or remember anything that I said last week. But here's something that I did say last week in the sermon. I said to you that I believe that these three verses that I just read you are the, um, the summation of an argument that Luke has given to you in the first half of Luke 8. From the opening of the chapter to verse 22, this is a, a section which has a common theme. Now, did you see the theme of the section? Remember? We talked last week about the parable of the four soils and that each one of those soils heard. And then I mentioned in verse 18 uh, the warning that says, take care how you hear. Well, now you'll notice there in verse 21 is hear the word of God. Gang, this is a section. It's a section that has a common theme And the message has to do with how we hear. Now, um, another thing I said last week was, um, I, I promised you that I was going to tell you what right hearing looked like. But I said, as you may recall, we'll have to do that next week, which is today. So we're going to get to that in just a minute, because here's where you find out what right hearing is all about. But before we get there <clears throat> there is um there's something in this little paragraph that I that I think is important to see gang um in the um in the four gospels it is mentioned several times that Jesus belonged to a family that Jesus had a family really Dr. Young I mean <laughs> that's so trivial I mean what are you uh what are you, um, uh, you're wasting our time with that. Well, maybe I am. But let me, um, let me tell you why I point that out. Gang, Rome has a position that states that um, Mary was a perpetual virgin. That means that when she was impregnated with the Savior, she was a virgin, and that she remained a virgin for the rest of her life. Well, where did that family come from? Folks, Mary had other children after she had Jesus. The other thing that I want to mention is that um, Rome tells us that Mary has some kind of special access to Jesus, so that we should pray to Mary um, because she can take us to Jesus. Well, not here. She doesn't. Not only does she not have special access, she gets no access to Jesus in this story, folks. Um, <clears throat> everything that that um, that you find in this one little episode of these three verses is found two other places in the New Testament. It's found in Matthew chapter twelve. It's also found in Mark chapter three. Um, and if you can find Mark chapter three, Mark's. Mark's edition of this episode includes something that's very embarrassing, and I would love for you to see it. This is Mark's version. Listen to this. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying... He is out of his mind. That is the family of Jesus that would have included a guy by the name of James who wrote this epistle way in the back of the New Testament and became the head of the church. The family shows up here to perform a family intervention. They want to arrest him. They want to seize him. Why? Because they have concluded that their half-brother... Is out of his mind. We better go get him. He's gone nuts. Now, hold that thought. Uh, the other popular theory about who he was was promoted by the religious crowd. Remember that? They said um, he casts out demons by Beelzebub. You know what? This Jesus, he's a devil, he's a demon, he's evil. So there you have it, two theories about who Jesus Christ is. His family, the family theory, is mm, he's nuts, he's crazy, his elevator doesn't go all the way to the top, he's out of his mind. The other theory proffered by the um, religious crowd is that um, he's a devil, he's evil, Now, gang, um, think about that for a minute. Why do people come up with theories in the first place? Well, they're trying to cope with the data that they have about this person. And the data that they have about this person is, he was constantly making claims that he was the Messiah, He raised the dead. He um, granted sight to the blind. He made paralytics walk. He taught stuff that we'd never heard before. And so, with all this data, the people think, then who must he be? The family said, he's nuts. He's crazy. The religious leader said, he's a devil, he's demonic. All of which is the result of trying to sort out all of the data which they had about Jesus. Did you hear what he said? Did you see what he did? I mean, do you see the people that are following him? How am I to evaluate this? He must be out of his mind. No, 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 no. He's a devil. Now folks, um, fast forward to the 21st century for a moment, and um, modern Western people don't like to talk about other people in either of those categories. They don't believe in a personal devil, therefore you can't be a demon if there's no devil. And secondly, um, we don't like to talk about people being crazy. That's a little uncharitable, a little bit unkind. We might say that they're mentally challenged, but we don't like either of those assessments. So we've come up with our own that is uniquely modern. We look at all the data that is offered to us by this Jesus, and we come to this conclusion. Well... I think he is a good moral teacher. A promoter of peace among men, you know? And who doesn't want more peace? So Jesus is a good man and a good teacher, but he's no more than that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I would suggest to you that it would be more intellectually responsible on your part to go with one of those other two theories about his person. That is, he's crazy or he's a devil. Because C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, which so many of you have read, this argument is used so often, C.S. Lewis made that good moral teacher thing into a piece of irrationality. Because he asked this, he said, "Um, what good moral teacher do you know of who asks of his followers to go die for him. Tell me, um, what good moral teacher do you know of who is constantly claiming to be God? Wouldn't you rather call that insanity rather than being a good moral teacher? Folks, um, what would you do if you had a friend Who was regularly telling you that uh, he was sent by God to come save the world? And as for this peace thing, (laughs) this this notion that Jesus came to, um, to promote peace among men, again, could I read you just one thing that he said in Luke 12? Three verses. Do you think that I have come to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father and mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Does that sound like peace? Does that sound like he's a promoter of peace? In fact... He is even willing to bring division into families. You don't have any of that problem, do you? In your family? Folks, Jesus is willing to split up families because he is redefining in our text what it means to be a part of his family. It's very simple, ladies and gentlemen. Some messengers come to him and say, your mother and brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Let me give you a brand new definition of a new family. That's not my family. My mother and my brothers are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. We want to, He wants to set aside this normal definition, and and substitute a new definition of being in part of a, part of a family or his family. And there is one key operative principle that belongs to all people who are a member of his family. Very simple, ladies and gentlemen. If you belong to that family, here's what would be true of you. You have heard the word of God and you do it. Guys, um, I think I've said this before, but I've spent a lot of my life as a student you know, I went to high school. I mean, I went to grade school and junior high and high school, then I went on to college, and then I went to seminary, and then I went and got a doctorate. And I added it up one time, and I think it was I think it was twenty-one years or maybe nineteen years, what twenty-one years that I've been in school. But you know what? You don't need any of those degrees or any of that education or any of that academic um, expertise. To understand that <clears throat> no no excuse me <clears throat> no no Jesus says you know what my family is my family is a group of people who have heard the word of God and they do it there's one trait says Jesus of this new family, and it's that they do what God says they are to do. Guys, several years ago, or maybe three years ago, I guess, Susie and I spent, I don't know what it was, 12 weeks, 15 weeks, I think it was over two summers, in a city known as Baku. Now, you've been to Baku, I'm sure. Baku is the capital city of Azerbaijan. And Azerbaijan is big in the news right now because they're having a little war with the Armenians. And and, uh, it's right there where Georgia and Azerbaijan, right south of Russia, in between Russia and Iran. And uh, Baku is this modern big city, and it was just a great experience for both me and Susie, being those spending those that time in Baku. But one of the things that we enjoyed the most is that we met so many people from around the world, from different countries who were Christians. We met some Afghan Christians. We met some Iranian Christians. We met some Turkish Christians. We met some Uzbekis and some Tajikis. All Christians. We met some Azeri Christians. That is, if you're from Azerbaijan, you're an Azeri. But one of the persons that we met who was a Christian there was a Russian Her name was Anya. She was married to Azir, who was an Aziri. And um, Anya was a physician by trade, but she couldn't practice in Azerbaijan. So she, at that time, was the head of, or the president of, what do you even call it, of MOPs. MOPs? Mothers of preschool children? I thought that was just confined to the south here. No, it's in Baku. And Anya headed it up. Now, guys, I have not spent over five hours in my entire life with Anya and Azir. But every time I was with them, every time we were with them, the conversations were so rich and enjoyable and meaningful. (coughs) Pardon me. It seems like we We were almost immediately on the same page and and we would leap over all of that foolishness and discuss things that were so rich and purposeful. We had conversations that some of you could not have with members of your own family. Why? Well, because though she was a Russian and he was an Aziri, we belong to the same family. We belong to a family that has as our head, a big brother, who told us that this is what my family looks like. They're a bunch of people, a bunch of weird folk, with all kinds of various backgrounds and different things here and there, but they do have this much in common. They have heard the word of God, and they do it. Gang, last week I, I think I said to you that I was going to give you the the definition of right hearing. There it is. If you hear rightly, it will be apparent to everyone around you. If you hear rightly, other people will even be able to see that you hear. Because if you heard rightly, that word that you heard is a word that has now been incorporated into your behavior. I hear the word of God, and I do it. There's nothing mystical. There's nothing mysterious. It's a simple principle of family membership. Jesus identifies his mother and his brothers as people who have heard the word of God and do it. So the key characteristic of all of us people who say we belong to Jesus is simply this. Do I obey what I heard? Being a part of this family has one chief trait and has nothing to do with eye color or nose shape or body style. It's simply obedience. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, I continue to have people who claim that they are in Christ's family while they openly defy the Father's words. Now, gang, I, I, I want to labor hard here to be clear. Um, I'm not trying to major in minors, and I'm not trying to teach some kind of moral perfection. I'm talking about things that just work their way into my office. Things like uh, adultery, or um, uh, withholding forgiveness, or um, hatred of another race, or porn addictions. Gang, I'm not trying to dismiss as valueless the lifelong struggle that some of us have had with these and other sins. Nor am I saying that any of this is easy. But based on this text, I want to ask you a question. Do you claim to be a member, a part of this family? You do? Great! Then I think it's a fair and appropriate second question to ask you. Do you find in you an eagerness, a willingness and a hunger to obey the God that you call your Father in heaven. Is there any family resemblance? He's not talking about, oh, but Jimmy, I go to church a lot. Well, he didn't mention that one. He said, members of my family hear the word and do it. Oh, but Jimmy, I, you know, I, I've taught Sunday school for years. I'm glad you do. And I wish more of you would. But that is not how Jesus defines family members. He says very simply, very clearly, very plainly, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Or is there some... Open defiance to known laws of God. And and forget the unknown ones. Let's just talk about the known ones. Tell me, what church-going folk do you know that does not know that God denounces adultery? And yet I have people sit in my office and justify their behavior, or at least try to. Oh, but our young... I'm in a very unhappy marriage. I'm very sorry about that. But do you think for one second that you being in an unhappy marriage gives you permission to go enter into an adulterous affair? What about forgiveness? Oh, but Dr. Young, it's... It's so hard. Yes, it is. But do you think that because it's hard, we are then granted permission to ignore the mandate? What about racism? Oh, Dr. Young, I was raised in the South. Really? Great. Do you think that being raised in the South... Gives us permission to devalue a whole race of people. Again, again, I'm, I'm, I want to be clear. I'm trying, I'm not saying that adultery is an unpardonable sin, but I am saying unrepentant. Ongoing, adulterous living means that you are not a part of this new family. Because you see, Jesus says, He says that the key characteristic of His family is an obedience to the words of His Father. You can call that crazy. You can call that insane and downright lunacy. But let me remind you, Jesus' own half-brothers called him crazy too. Now, one final piece of clarification, and you've got to get this. This is the most important. Folks, It is not my obedience that makes me a member of Christ's family. My obedience is simply an evidence that I am a part of Christ's family. I don't become a Christian by obeying. I obey because I have become a Christian. God has given me a new heart and that new heart and all of us Christians have one that new heart takes delight in obeying the words of our Father in heaven. To all of you who hear and that would be all of us do you see some kind of growing determination in you as God grants strength by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit to obey God and to increase in that obedience because that is the characteristic trait Of everyone who is in the family of God. If you do see that. Then it is because God in his sovereign good pleasure. Has granted you eyes to see and ears to hear. If you do not see that. In you. The only thing that that could mean is that you are in the wrong family and you must come to Christ now, today, this morning. It is a simple statement on the part of Jesus Christ that is intended To be a statement by which we might evaluate who we are and what family we're in. I'll read it as as we close. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. Our Father, would you make that very clear and take it straight to that place in our souls where only you and I go? Would you allow us to take this piece of clear communication on the part of Jesus and to evaluate the status of our own souls? Father, if you've led people here today who have not yet met our Savior, would you cause them to see that that obedience that disobedience that they thought was so cool is not cool at all. And what it is, it's a very clear piece of evidence that that man or woman, boy or girl belonged to the wrong family. Would you you open their eyes to see the beauty of the gospel and that in it, Christ Jesus has paid for sin that we've long forgotten. And then grant us this newfound hunger to not only hear the word of God, but to do what we've heard. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.